Welcome to Insights into Action from KPMG, where we bring together business professionals and specialists from KPMG and beyond. In each episode, we'll delve into real-world stories and share unique insights that provide tangible actions that will benefit your business and help you navigate today's challenges and tomorrow's opportunities. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how the world's leading HR functions are preparing for the future and what they're doing differently to address today's issues more effectively than their peers. We'll also be discussing KPMG's very latest HR research report, intriguingly entitled The Future of HR from Flux to Flow. For this conversation, we're joined by Robert Bolton, partner, KPMG in the UK, and head of our global People and Change Centre of Excellence at KPMG International. John Dole, Partner, Human Capital Advisory at KPMG in the US. And last but not least, Susie Quirk, Partner, HR Advisory at KPMG Australia. Let's get right into it. From flux to flow, what do you mean by this, Robert? We've explored the nature of Pathfinders. We, we talk about it in the report. And as the name Pathfinders, Pathfinding, would suggest... They have momentum, a clear purpose and confidence about their people management strategies. Non-pathfinders are, quite frankly, still in flux with much greater uncertainty. And some of them have an inability to directly measure and show their business value add. So we termed this year's report from flux to flow to partly bring a Across that distinction between that sense of forward motion that the pathfinders have with that sense of organizations still searching that the, if you will, the non-pathfinders have. And we use the term flow, particularly from flux to flow. We use the term in three interrelated ways. Number one, HR is measurably driving value in the business. If you will, it is a case of HR flowing seamlessly through to business value. Number two, careers in flow. The pathfinders create a dynamic where people come in, they flow in, through, up and sometimes out of the organisation. So to overuse this metaphor, talent is a healthy flowing stream rather than perhaps considering perhaps a just a pond where there is no flow and therefore no sense of that career. And then number three, people as individuals in flow. And we mean that in that sense of when an individual has their capabilities matched to the tasks that they face, this unleashes all sorts of positive psychological benefits. It's called the flow state and being in flow. And in a way, the role of HR and management is to maximise as many people as possible being in flow using approaches such as talent marketplaces, insightful analytics, and of course, yes, learning in the flow of work technologies. So those are the three elements of flow that we see with the Pathfinders. Thanks, Robert. So the context is clear, but what for you are some of the biggest takeaways from this year's research? So three years ago, we ran our fairly normal Future of HR survey 
and it was very data driven global survey 2000 odd big organizations responding but we did some data analysis of that survey and we found distinct clusters in the the profile of responses and one of the clusters accounted for 10% of all global organizations and we labeled them the pathfinders why did we do that they were moving forward with confidence they were seen as value driving in the business we we've subsequently explored this pathfinder grouping in more detail this year we have continued to uh, basically have more qualitative interviews with organizations that exhibit some of these pathfinder qualities and what are these qualities well they are much more sophisticated at bringing insight and analysis and being more evidence-based and if you will it acts as the cornerstone for being a pathfinder and in in the report we explore in more detail how a more sophisticated approach from turning insight to analytics what that looks like but also they are so much more sophisticated and purposeful about being experience centric about treating the employee experience in the same way that a sophisticating marketing organization would treat its customers so they look at the the total employee experience and they bring technology to bear to make a more seamless fluid interaction for the employees that's that's more frictionless and the other aspects of pathfinders are being more purpose driven looking to the workforce of the future not accepting that their current workforce is the one they're going to need just two or three years out thanks robert it's clear that data and analytics are a big topic in this year's research john you're kpmg's digital employee experience lead in the us do you see data and analytics growing in importance with your clients yeah, it's a good question. And I wonder if we can all even step back and agree on something. I mean, when I think, Robert, about your narrative around pathfinders and, and their being in position to react to what HR organizations are being asked to do, I would start my answer to that by saying, I think we can all agree, HR is being asked to, in a really meaningful way um, today, help organizations attract and retain and grow talent. And and I think probably we'd all say maybe that's been the purpose or a big part of the purpose behind the HR you know, function for forever. Um, but I think given the talent market globally, that what that means is really different today, right? And so when you think about organizations that are able to respond to that in a really meaningful and practical way, it's those organizations who have established a really strong people analytics capability that are best positioned to do that. And and what we see is, you know, those organizations who have a, a mature people analytics capability, they're able to not just kind of pan back on the market and say, hey, there's really different signals out there. There's really different levers out there that are that are at the heart of, of you know, why people are joining an organization or staying with an organization or leaving an organization. Those reasons why are really different. And the investment that those organizations made in their data analytics capability to be able to predict attrition and be able to predict kind of how we're going to grow our talent of the future um, in an optimized way, you know, those are organizations that are able to start to answer that question in a more meaningful way. And the trick of it is, I think that 
the the KPIs and and sort of the metrics around how they would define how we would define two or three years ago, you know how we predict talent attraction and retention and growth. It's really different, right? And so I think the theme I would start to connect to as I as I answer the question around experience is I think organizations have found that there are when we really pan back, one of the meaningful things we can do to ensure that we retain people and grow people is to really understand what are some of the really meaningful experiences that are unique to their organizations that if we get right, have the biggest effect on that attraction, retention, and growth of the workforce. Data analytics has a huge part in in that. And then I think there's this bigger shift mindset-wise to start to define and understand how we as an HR function start to um, you know, grow beyond the, the traditional taxonomy of HR and how we organize and how we think about optimizing the HR function and do that, maybe there's something different and we think about it through more of a human-centered lens to define experiences and be able to action around those experiences that if we get right, will have the biggest impact on re- retention and growth of talent. So what I'm seeing is that, you know, data and analytics is at the heart of, of being able to respond to the talent market effectively. And, you know, organizations that have invested a lot over the last decade in building that um, are in better position to move but, but forward. But but this is also one of those points in time where there's really clear opportunity to double down on investment in, in data and analytics around the workforce to be able to drive and get significant uplift around this right now. Thanks, John. And Susie, I'm interested in hearing your view from the other side of the world in Australia. Are you seeing the same things John has described? Yeah, down in Australia, we we are definitely seeing a much more human-centred um, uh, approach to to the um, understanding and evidence-based approach to the employee experience. There, there's no doubt about that. Everybody is very focused on that. the The key question, and I and and the key point I think is really important is how people go on that journey, because it's one thing to know this, it's another thing to be able to execute it. And so many different things get in the way of organisations to actually become a pathfinder. Everybody's got the intent. So um, I regularly work with clients around, well, what what is the key thing that's going to help you to be a much more evidence-based, human-centred to design organisation to deliver on that employee experience? And often it comes back to first and foremost, understanding what your purpose is and understanding how you can add value. Um, And that comes from those strategic conversations, sometimes because of organisational constructs, all those sorts of things, those conversations have been difficult for the chief people officer and the strategic HR business partners. So that's where I'd start to be able to make that link to an evidence-based approach. And Robert, would you add anything else to what Susie and John have said? The key finding from the three years of research is that what separates the pathfinders from the others on this topic of analytics is that what the others do, what the non-pathfinders, if you will, do, is establish an analytics team in HR and sometimes solely rely on the human capital system of record for its source of analytics as the only source of analytics and assumes that simply because you've got a data analysis team that the rest of the organization is either going to pay attention to whatever that team produces and that they're going to do something about it. 
what the pathfinders do is have a disciplined approach to speak to the business about the questions the business has. Yes, there are people capable of doing data and analytics. They rely on more than just the system of record. They combine data sources, different data sources, some of which data that exists outside of HR. And they also have a really effective, if they identify insight that's actionable, they have a really effective approach to spin up agile projects to go and do something about what they found out. And that each of the pathfinders has that broader value chain view of translating insight into action. And if uh, anyone listening to the, this podcast thinks, well, let's get some data analysts in the HR function, it's just not enough. It won't cut it. Uh, you got to think bigger than that. John? The thing I was going to add to that, that I think is so fascinating, right, as you're just thinking about, you know, the, the importance of workforce analytics, people analytics. There was some period of time during the, the COVID sort of uh, global sort of trend where there was easy access to budgets. HR was well funded. It was kind of the, with a shotgun approach to, to, to investing in a lot of things to try to solve this problem. And I think what's so fascinating about the environment that we see now, it's in the context of global recession potentially coming. We also have the, the the no let up to the talent, the kind of war for talent thing happening. So it's it's like we need to solve a problem that's really specific and we need to do it in a really tight way. It needs to be, you know, fairly well defined what we're going to go after. And so the way I would kind of close out the discussion on the importance of, of people analytics, that is the part of the HR function that helps to identify the what we're going to do, as well as how we're going to do something really focused and specific to go solve for that. Because that's a really that's the question that our you know our clients my clients are really faced with, which is what what are the investments I can make in an atmosphere of not unlimited budgets available and maybe a constraining sort of budget type of a cycle that we're going through? What are the really specific things I can invest in um, to 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 make an impact? Thanks, John. Susie, in your role, you see a broad range of HR functions in terms of their maturity. Each one is different and each organisation say they are unique. I'm wondering, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too, should organisations blindly follow Pathfinders, even if they don't operate in the same sector or industry? I think that's a bit of a leading question because I think the the word blindly, um, the word blindly um, suggests that no, you wouldn't fo- blindly follow other organisations. But it is a good question in the sense that, you know, often clients ask me, um, what are others doing? And I always go back with the question, why do you want to know? And and that help helps focus the, the, the conversation. So the, the short answer is no, I don't think so. However, I do think there's um, what makes an organisation transition towards being a pathfinder is when the people team scans the landscape and does actually look at what others are doing. But it's how you use that information, I think, is really important. Um, and I've seen I've seen clients go from responding to, well, let's just copy what they're doing because they're leading practice, to, no, we don't want to do this at all. We want to go our own way. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And it's what influences an organization's uniqueness 
that um, that really helps that transition to Pathfinder. And I've got a really good example. I'm currently working with a large government department and they, they asked us uh, uh, around what are other industries and other organisations doing around service delivery, people services delivery. So we, we spoke to them and showed them what, what other um, industries are doing and organisations are doing. And what emerged through looking at these different models and these different ways of servicing people services um, was that this client said, we can't be all things to all people. And that's what we've been trying to do. So as a result of looking out and scanning the landscape, they became much clearer on what their purpose is. And I know I've mentioned purpose before, but it's really important part of, you know, answering that question, where do you add the value? And so they became a lot clearer in what is strategy and strategic advice, what is policy and what is actually service people, people services delivery. And that was a very, very big transition for, you know, servicing over 150,000 staff. So it's a really, really important point to look out and then adapt it to your own uniqueness. And in this survey, well-being expectations seem to be changing. What are your thoughts on that? And are they changing across the board? Yeah, there's there's no doubt that um, employee expectations are changing. The labour market is 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 evolving, but subsequently, you know, it's having a a very practical impact. And and um, all organisations, all organisations are looking at um, not only what their employee value proposition is and and what their employee experience is, but they're getting a little more and, and using data and analytics that we've talked about, they're getting a little bit more sophisticated on where they focus. And I think a really good example of that is we are coming out of a pandemic. I should qualify that. I don't think that we are out of it yet. It's still a bit lumpy in terms of the um, a business in the economic environment. So that's having an effect. But certainly the ways of working are changing. You can work anywhere, anytime, anyhow um, across the world, uh, more so now than you, you could three years ago. And technology is enabling you to collaborate and connect more. But there are also impacts on, I think, the well-being of employees as a result of this and mental health and mental ill health and well-being are, are becoming much more prominent as a leader in connecting the, the social impact agenda and the um, employee value proposition agenda. It's a connection. And I'll explain what I mean in a bit more detail. If you look at the research that we've put out, there's a, a Professor Gordon Harold, um, a university professor at Cambridge around psychology, education, well-being. And he talks about this this concept of well um, mental health and mental ill health and making that distinction. And I think this is really important. I don't know that organisations are really clear on this at the moment. And really being able to support that, um, support employees and take them through um, the organisation that is changing in particular ways of working. And employees, younger employees in particular, um, who are coming out as graduates and going into this um, anywhere, anyhow, anytime collaborative connected world are really much more discerning around, well, what can I get over and beyond? What support can I get over and beyond the employee assistance program, which is what we've traditionally known. And there's a lot more now that people can do. Thanks, Susie. Robert, would you add anything to Susie's comments? The thing that I've picked up, not just from the Pathfinders, but organisations that are genuinely driving a, a new place of work 
they are not doing that kind of classic, we expect people two days a week in the office. They're not doing that. They are giving more freedom to managers and their team members to construct the rhythm of the working week, the working month, the working year, and to give where where it's appropriate maximum autonomy. So uh, the best way to summarise that is that many of you, many people listening to this will have heard the terms from transactional analysis, parent, adult and child. And what's what absolutely is clear from the pathfinders and organisations leading on reimagining the world of work and the nature of work and, and the hybrid working environment is to introduce a more adult to adult form of interaction, as opposed to so many organisations, particularly the non-pathfinders, that are still in a parent-child world, which is that, well, you've got to be in two days a week, is a bit of an example of parent-child. And we know what, what employees want and value in the world of work. They want to learn stuff. They do want to come into a location and interact with employees when it's worthwhile doing that, when they can co-create stuff, when they can learn from each other. But also they want the freedom and the autonomy to work from home when they need to or want to. And managers, quite frankly, have got to get with that agenda and not think I'm the parent and I'm going to treat these as as children, effectively. So it, it, it it's a sea change, I think. And uh, some organisations are getting it. Others are, are struggling. And John, can I come to you for your perspective? HR has a big role in helping the business understand that flexibility around ways of working and what the new you know, future of the workplace looks like. HR also has a role then to build some muscle around, well, how do we then reset enabling people to build careers here? you know, relationship building and networking and the some of the capabilities that HR is responsible for is maybe more difficult than for, for employees in that type of an atmosphere. So HR, I think, has a role on both sides of that equation, which is let's make sure we're in tune with the workforce of the future in terms of the workplace of the future. But let's then also look inside at our you know, career and talent capabilities and retune those to, to uh, help our workforce still you know, not just be productive in a new way of working, but to uh, grow a career and have a meaningful path forward that oftentimes I think was connected to being with people in yeah. the past and in relationship and all those things. So I think we as HR um, leaders have have a responsibility on both sides of that topic, which is what's so fascinating. Thanks, John. Robert, the research this year also talks about HR leading by example on supporting strategic direction, net zero, implementing digital innovation and others. What can HR functions learn from the Pathfinders in this regard? The key lesson, I think, from the Pathfinders is it, it picks up on something Susie said. There, there isn't a one size fits all and it isn't about go and copy this organisation. The thing that we keep seeing with the Pathfinders is experimentation. There's, there, there isn't a playbook to follow. And some of the Pathfinders said this. The time when there was some playbook about war for talent or a playbook about performance management, where every organization did broadly the same thing, 
I think those days are gone. So with BP, for example, and we write, write about this in the report, there they've got this really interesting concept of, of, of having a much more integrated delivery of HR with, with this role, this new role of talent integrator. Now that's quite different from what Genentech, another of the organizations we explored, what they do is seek to put digital tools into the hands of managers and leaders to optimize decisions around things like the talent marketplace, to optimize judgments around the health and well-being, to Susie's point, of the team that they're responsible for, and providing insightful, sophisticated, predictive analytics in the form of an app to the team leader. These, these approaches, BP, different to Genentech, different to Aegon, another example, organization that we, we've explored, also doing a lot of work on talent marketplaces to promote that flow of talent in, through and up and out of the organization on occasions. They're doing different things and they're experimenting. What unites them, I think, is this sense of, yes, common purpose to Susie's comments, to John's comments, having a, a real approach to digital and in using digital to enable both experience and analytics and doing it in a way all of the pathfinders kind of a, have a more integrated approach where analytics, it forms experience, in, it informs purpose, it informs well-being, and it becomes mutually reinforcing, dare I use that cliche, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And, and that's what we see with the pathfinders. We know the HR function doesn't work in a silo, and Robert, the research really makes that clear. For starters, it's clearly influenced by external factors, one of which is the great reassessment. How are organisations adapting to a hot labour market? I think that they are having to recognise that one size doesn't fit all. They are having to recognise that the perfect person in the external marketplace may not exist and therefore really focus in on what must they have by way of attitude, by way of motivation, and what can they train? What can they do to put people on a path that turns a square peg into a square hole and therefore it's about you know bringing people into the organization and molding them and developing them when initially they may not be the perfect fit and prior to the pandemic prior to the tight labor markets they may have held off and waited for someone that was closer to the perfect fit. Now we are seeing, because the labour markets are so different in so many of our geographies, a more common sense and realistic approach to saying, OK, let's recruit for attitude and we'll build the skill in a nutshell. And also lots of flexibility about patterns of work, location of work and so on. But I'm sure John and Susie have got, got some observations on this as well. The, the part that really resonates um, in, in the U.S. and with my clients is, is the part where we a re-emphasis on the, um, the internal capability to grow our own talent. Right. And I think that is the common thread, I, I think, probably of, all, of our pathfinders, but certainly organizations 
um, that are truly their, their business strategy is leading them towards needing different types of talent. And they recognize the importance of um, developing key roles, whatever those may be, leadership or otherwise. Could be a line manager, could be a store manager, could be at all different parts of a, an organization. But I think when when organizations um, hone in on those key roles, all of them are are you know doubling down on building capability to develop to develop them. And you know when I talked in an abstract way about honing in on key experiences, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I think most organizations. Um, are honing in on at least one experience around being able to develop top talent. You know, for, for us, in the business that we're in, you know, we might think of it as developing a partner and and or a, or a managing director or something, which is a key sort of level for us. That's a, a challenging thing to develop and is a multi-year process. And that's a great example for our industry, for our business. That's probably what we would hone in on. And we would double down on the automating, digitizing, reformalizing our capability in HR around what it means to develop a director or a partner. And I would apply that as an example to um, just about every one of my clients across different types of industries and sizes. You know, they're really honing in on the key roles and building capability to be able to grow those roles internally um, in, a, in a really structured way, because it's the only way to create some predictability around that. I agree with you, John. I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned about how you're working with your clients in Australia. There's certainly a, a big focus on um, building building talent marketplaces, both internally and externally. And, and internally, it is about how you actually can harness that talent. And more importantly, offer offer opportunity. It is a marketplace, you know, and that opportunity is very different now. It's not the same as it was three or four years ago. That opportunity is about, okay, you want to learn to do project management because you've never done it. That's a, that's a skill set. It's not a job. So how do you take that and break down jobs and start to move people through skill sets? That in itself is, is, a, is a big challenge. I think um, there may be pathfinders out there that are doing it, but it, it is quite difficult to do because it takes strategic workforce planning. It takes um, the link between your external talent attraction and your internal talent development. So you have to have strategic talent management. It, it really calls for the joined up HR function and connected HR function. Um, and I, I think the pathfinders do have that. Um, but it is often challenging when you've got a lot going on. But I'm more interested in connecting the, those talent marketplaces with digital capability that's out there. I think that's really interesting. And to Robert's point, it's really around about that. In, that's that's the innovation, I think. And we've seen lots of different solutions out there. We use Rejig around, you know, talent market scraping and seeing what's out there from a skill set perspective. But in our report, we also talk about something is fantastic. I can't wait to use it myself, that Genetech are using, which is CalPAL, you know, that actually scans the way you work. And so connecting the way you work with the skill sets you want and then matching that to what's happening in the external market through some really um, sophisticated digital scraping, that is a completely different conversation we are having now than we were five years ago. And Robert, I think you'll agree with me. We are having it now, aren't we? Yeah, we, we absolutely are. And, and I think one of the things that none of the pathfinders have, have got to yet is is a state of of having worked it all out, of having nailed it down, of having, you know, like a, a talent marketplace working in every respect without 
challenges and without things still to be worked through. They are all they're all saying they are without, you know, overusing the phrase Pathfinder. They're all on a journey. But, you know, if you look at one, one of the Pathfinders said, look, you know, we've created this internal marketplace, loads of people doing gigs, you know, internally. You know, they, they're, they're developing skills and they're going doing something for, for another part of the organisation. They're being effectively lent to another part of the organisation to do a gig. But the organisations are still struggling with, well, how, how, at the end of the year, how do you deal with reward? How do you fairly reward the person that's done loads of gigs compared with the person that hasn't done any gigs? And th these are challenges that no one has yet nailed, but they are working on it. Thanks, Robert. Clearly, there's an opportunity for HR and business leaders to make a great impact in their organisations through the power of data and technology. Robert, John and Susie, we've covered a number of topics here today and you've given our listeners a lot to think about. So to conclude, what advice would you like to leave our listeners with today? Robert, can we start with you? <laughs> I think experiment, but be evidence-based. And, and in particular, you've got to move from you know, traditional KPI tracking to something that we talk about in our report that's more about relational analytics connecting different sources of data to be more predictive. And John, your thoughts? I've spent a lot of time helping companies think of the importance of adding a really structured approach to experience to their taxonomy, defining that clearly, pointing that at their key roles and making sure um, that if they've got to make targeted investments like we all do, that those targeted investments are pointed at the key parts of their workforce. And, and, it's, and it's through the lens of, of how we uh, attract and retain and grow that, that part of our workforce through improved experience that's embedded in the flow of work and checking the box for productivity and efficiency and effectiveness, but also um, a human-centered kind of experience lens, I think, is the new ingredient that I advocate we figure out how to make sure we're incorporating in our plans and strategy. And Susie, any final thoughts? For me, um, uh, I I talk to all my clients about this. I, I, I ask them a really key question. I show them leading practice. We have a discussion about it, and I always ask the same question. If not, why not? Why can't you do this? Because I don't think organisations are as bold as what they could be. I think they can be bolder. And the only thing that's stopping them is themselves. So I'm regularly asking the question, if not, why not? Susie, that's a great point to finish on. Thank you all for being here today. It's been a fascinating discussion. If you'd like to know more about this subject, you can download the latest KPMG research report that Susie, John and Robert reference throughout this podcast, The Future of HR from Flux to Flow, by visiting kpmg.com forward slash pathfinders. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insights into Action. Please visit our website for more advisory insights and all the other episodes in the series. Make sure to subscribe through your podcast provider so you're alerted for any new episodes and check out the other podcasts available from KPMG. Thank you and see you next time.